Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Uh, hey, if you missed last week, we're in a series called Encounter, and I want to encourage you to check it out, podcast it. I'm so glad you're with us in person. I think it's important for us as people to gather together. Um, that's one of the privileges of being the church is it's not just, uh, it's unfortunate today we live in a podcast world where we can just take, take, you know, teachings from people around the world. That's amazing for information's sake, but for transformation's sake. We need to be rooted in a local community where we're, we're hearing and participating in the word being proclaimed regularly, where we're gathering together, sharing resources, where we're proclaiming God's um, wonder and mystery through worship, and where we come together to pray for one another. This is, the, this is what church is about. It's not about podcasting. It's not about some transaction that takes place. It's about being together as the Lord's people. And so we're going to preach from the word this morning. Um, and so if you have a Bible, go to Mark chapter one. I was gonna preach on Peter today and his transformation. I had prepped that sermon. I had written up the notes. I had sent it to make slides on Thursday. And then as soon as I was finished, I felt something else in my spirit. So I asked for prayer from, from some friends. And as it went along, um, I just felt even this morning, I just, I knew I had to talk about this sermon for a couple of reasons before I get there. Number one, I've experienced in our church for the last nine years uh, a move of God in various times. And I don't mean like a massive move of God. I mean, there are times in church life that feel energized and like there's a momentum that's sustaining us. There's this energy pushing us forward and that it, it comes and people are saved People are restored. People are healed. We've seen this in the past. People find family and community. There's forgiveness and restoration. And then it kind of dies out and we just keep doing church, which is what the church is intended to do, to practice these things. Because we can't always live in a state of revival. We have to actually live in ordinary life, which is where most of us live. Would you agree? But then there are times when this other thing happens. And I've seen it. And people get healed and saved. And then and there's this energy. And, and I'm so excited for it. But what I tend to do is keep going down the path of what we were supposed to do rather than pause and say, God, what are you trying to do right now? And this is hard for me because as a leader, I'd way rather s- stick to the script, oddly enough. I'd way rather continue with the plans of the sermon series and what we're doing. But this is a moment right now. And I'm serious. This day, this, the, these past few weeks are a moment for our whole community to be open to what the Holy Spirit might be doing in our particular context. And we as leaders, as fellow participants at the garden, as members of this body, we need to come together and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? What do you want to do in our lives right now? Do you need me to press in in this area? Do you need me to release something in this area? And so as, as I've been growing up in this church, along with you, I'm trying to listen to the Holy Spirit, stay committed to the plans that God set before us as a community, but also be willing to pause and say, God, what, what might you want to do? And one particular thing I think he's asking of us is to build our faith for healing. And this is the hardest one for me. I'm fine praying for demons, just so you know. Super easy about that. That's, that's quick. I'm okay with talking about warfare, disciplines of the Holy Spirit, super easy, but I feel like the Lord is prompting me to, um, to uh, 
inspire faith, to encourage faith for healing. And I have stories. I mean, just last week, a couple, last Friday, I prayed for my friend Josiah who tore his hamstring. And I had just been healed of my injury of my, my two, two torn ligaments. So he called me, just left the doctor's office. He's, he's sitting over, Josiah, would you raise your hand and tell me if anything's a lie, okay? You just say, that's not true. So he has this massive leg wound. It's bl- like gross and disgusting. It's all bl- bruised. And the doctor said, yeah, you tore like the worst part of the hamstring and you need surgery. Is that correct? That's what the doctor said. It was a Friday. And, and I said, come over. And Josiah is super active and he was kind of depressed all week long and wasn't being able to be active or surf or do these things. And I just I said, that's not, that doesn't have to be your story. Let's pray. Like God did it for me. Let me just pray. He'll do it for you. And it wasn't like this miraculous. He got up, picked up his mat and went home, you know, on his bike. <laughs> He limped away in his car, you know. But this week, he went on three 12-mile bike rides. He, he believes God, do you believe God healed you of the injury? There's swelling and some pain, but massive, like progressive healing to where he's, he believes he's not going to get surgery. I say, I say, get the MRI and let's have evidence. <laughs> now, so I just feel like there's, there's how many of you got, got prayer last week and had some, a significant shift, whether it was physical healing, emotional healing, mental. Anyone want to raise their hand? Raise your hands real quick, just so I could see. We had some better days. Look at this. There's a bunch of hands. Now, now that's subjective. I get it. The first to critique it. But I just, I just want to have the faith for today, right? Not yesterday's. I just want to keep pushing us forward. So I was going to talk about Peter. I'm going to talk about the leper today. All right, is that okay? Can we do that? So this morning, in our few minutes together, I'm gonna talk about the man, the law, the system, and the way of Jesus. You good? The man, the law, the system, and the way of Jesus. Mark chapter one, verse 40. Check it out. Let's read this together. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Pause right there. Once again, a story in the Bible where somebody's issues becomes their identity. I just need to reiterate this. Your issues are not your identity. That is not who you are. Just because you've been divorced, just because you have this physical condition, just because you've gone through those painful experiences doesn't mean you're going to suffer with depression your whole life. Just because you have anxiety doesn't mean you have to live under that identity that becomes crippling for the rest of your everyday ordinary life. Can I get an amen on this? That's what I thought. So we see sometimes our issues become our identities. And this man, I love, I mean, it could read something like this. A man broken came to Jesus begging for wholeness. A man with some issues came to Jesus asking for help. A man with some health problems came to Jesus hoping for healing. A man isolated and alone came to Jesus longing to belong. A man carrying emotional baggage came to Jesus needing some comfort. You see, your issues aren't your identity, but Jesus wants to address the issues that you carried in here today. That's one thing I see in the scripture. But the leper doesn't come asking for healing. He comes asking to be made clean. That's a legal category in the first century. So we need to talk about the law. So the law 
If you're living in the first century, 2,000 years ago, and you're living in modern Palestine or Israel at the time, the law is how you lived your life. And the law is the mindset, is the rule, are the rules and regulations of the first century Jew. We see in our Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. That's called the Torah. And from the Torah, we have the law. And in the Old Testament, there are 613 Old Testament laws. Can I get an amen? And around the time of Jesus, the Pharisees added 1,500 additional laws. 2,013 laws to live your life. Now, the commands, the law, was designed to uh, instruct the people of God to live as God's chosen people in the world. It's what distinguished the chosen people of God from the rest of the world. But at the time, the law no longer served its intended purpose. God's desire was that the heart of the law would be in his people. The Old Testament prophets talked about this. And it, it would, they, they promised that a time would come when God would bring his law and put it in his his, uh, his, uh, the hearts of his people. And um, the, they, they added all sorts of um, additional qualifications and specifications to the customs of the law. So if you lived in the first century, your life was built around clean and unclean. Leprosy in the first century was used as a generic description of a skin disorder. 72 different kinds of skin disorders from ringworm to burns. These were all categories for leprosy. They, they created a restriction in your life that was suffocating. So if you have a Bible, go to Levitic, Leviticus. I just want you to look at the law in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 13. Leviticus 13 and 14. You see these, this instruction for what it means for someone that, that possessed this infliction of disease. Um, they were separated from the rest of their community. It wasn't, sorry. <laughs> it wasn't enough for someone to suffer with a physical condition like leprosy. You see, in the first century, first century, people believed that you had leprosy because you did something in your life to deserve it. Karma, essentially. But they saw it as divine punishment. You sinned somewhere or your family sinned and your skin disorder was the result of your actions, consequences of your choice. And so this was the modern paradigm. So leprosy robbed you of health, of reputation, of occupation, of your family, and robbed you of your normal life. In Leviticus chapter 13, it says this, um, verse 45. I just want to show you what was required of the leper when he comes to Jesus. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camps. The law required torn clothes. The law required to grow your hair out in disgust. The law required you to live alone. And when you would come into town or around people, you covered your mouth shouting 50 paces away, unclean, unclean, to let everyone know you were a leper. 
Josephus said lepers were in no way differing from a corpse. Ancient rabbis considered lepers to be the living dead, and to be cured was like raising the dead. This man with leprosy in desperation came to Jesus, fell to his knees, breaking the legal requirement of him. He doesn't announce his uncleanliness. Instead, he just begs Jesus, if you're willing, if you're willing, you can do this. You can make me clean. Clean. See, clean freed from physical burdens of a decaying body. Clean, invited back into friendship with the rest of his community. Clean, welcome back into the family and presence of loved ones. Clean, included in fellowship, worship, and sacrifice in the temple. Clean, working with his own hands, no longer dependent on the leftover from others. Clean, freed from the shame and humiliation of a life of dirty looks, condemnation, and judgment, as if this condition was your fault. Clean. And I wonder if that moment, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I wonder if in that moment there was a pause, there was a gasp. Everyone starts thinking to themselves, oh my gosh, did I touch him? Did he touch me? What's he going to do? There, if you get touched by a leper, seven days of isolation outside of the walls, outside of community, you have to go through the ritualistic process, process to be announced clean. You're at risk of being contaminated. Would Jesus say, you disobedient man, you're disobeying the word of God? It's in the law. It says, verse 41, Jesus was indignant. Jesus was annoyed, angry. What does your Bible say? Does it say indignant? Filled with compassion. That's the other translation. Isn't that interesting? All throughout the New Testament, the Greek word can be translated to anger or annoyed. It's connected to that emotion or to be filled with such deep emotion that you can't help but be moved from the inside to do something about what you see. And actually, I think both are appropriate because all over the place, you see Jesus is a man of compassion. Jesus is this deeply moved God incarnated who wants to do something about the pain he's witnessing. But I also think anger is appropriate here because throughout Jesus' ministry, he does get angry. He gets appropriately angry at the things that shouldn't be the way they are. Jesus, all throughout the New Testament, is angry mostly at the religious establishment. He's justified in his anger. He's angry at the religious system designed to reveal God, but has become a system that produces injustice. You see, the law is what we, what we create. We create laws to, uh, to essentially uh, maintain justice for the common good. And the policies and the systems we create are designed to make sure that those laws are implemented. Does that make sense? They're, they're the, the, the structures. So we might have great ideas and, and vision and theories but the, the man-made structures of how that's executed, the system is the, the execution or management of the law. 
And the system at the time of Jesus was corrupt. The law was designed for compassion. But, and the system was to execute the law of compassion. But at the time, the system became a, a, a system of classic, classification and preservation. You see, at the time of Jesus, it, it created the law and the system that executed the law created division among the people. It created a classification, secular, sacred, pure, impure, righteous, sinner, male, female, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, whole, broken, clean, unclean, us, them. Sometimes the systems no longer serve their intended purpose and they need to be changed. Can I get an amen? I hear the mmm. Mm-hmm, pastor, you got this. You see, the system was broken. The system, what we create to carry out the laws and regulations for the common good, the whole community, over time, often becomes a system that serves a few, mainly those in power. It's called systemic injustice. I think Jesus was angry because the priest from the temple, according to Leviticus, was designed in, to act authoritatively on God's behalf to bring about such powerful proclamations like clean. He was to go outside of the camp and examine the power of healing in God's community. But the man doesn't go to the priest or to the temple, and the priest isn't coming to the man uh, uh, and, and the man isn't going to the temple and Jesus gets upset. He gets angry at the tam- temple. The temple is a house of prayer for all nations that becomes consumed with making money, counting attendance. Making sure we got the right people in and all the other people are out because we signed the document. Because we paid our dues. Jesus flips it upside down. He turns it upside down. My house will not become, my house is designed to be a house of prayer, not a a den of thieves. You see, I think he was angry. The system's designed to carry out his compassion to bring people closer to to God, become the very thing over time that keep people from God. Let me say that again. The system's designed to carry out God's compassion and bring people closer to God, become oftentimes over a long period of time, the very, the very thing that keeps people from God. And when that's the case, we need revolution. We need revolution. We need to burn down the structures of old to build anew. We need new wineskins for the new wine. And Jesus confronts the power structures of his day. And as a result, he's executed as a revolutionary. And this is so clear. If you follow the life of Jesus in the Gospels, what starts out in the margins of society, Nazareth, Galilee, these outskirts, these towns on the outskirts, you can talk about being the temple out there. You can do the function of priest in Galilee, but the moment he comes into the headquarters of its political, religious, and economic system of Israel, Jerusalem, specifically the temple, the power structures of the day come crashing down on Jesus. And rather than defeating him, 
he flips it upside down. Are you with me? Do you see what's going on here in just this little story of the leper? Jesus, whether he was compassionate or filled with anger, anger, what he does is offer us an alternative way. This is so profound. Of, of, and this, I just need to get this across. This is, so, this is why we're doing this series called Practicing the Way of Jesus. Christianity was never designed to be this institution. Christianity was never designed to be a list of do's and don'ts. Christianity was never designed to be about who's right, who's in, and who's not. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's a way of reordering your everyday ordinary life around the resurrected Messiah King Jesus who lived in human history. It changes how you vote. It changes how you organize your resources. It, I'm getting off the stage. It changes how you schedule your time like Sunday mornings or Tuesday afternoon. It changes how you engage in the world around you. It, it changes everything about you. It should because it's a way to live. It's not a club to belong to. We've got enough of those. It's not a building to say yes to. It's not a brand. It's not a website. It's not a political party by any means. It transcends and subverts all of them because it comes into ordinary people, transforms them from the inside out, and then begins to infect everyone else around them with the life of God and the resources of heaven. The way of Jesus is the way of love. He, even if he's filled with anger, what does Jesus do in this moment? Let me, before I get there, whether it was anger or compassion, Jesus responds in love. Jesus loves everyone always. Jesus loves everyone always. Always, period. Amen. If I hear one more time from the church, I'm just going to speak the truth in love to someone you don't have a relationship with and you're not walking in covenantal community with. I, I am going to take the biggest Bible I can find <laughs> and practice the alternative way, not Jesus' way, <laughs> which is nonviolent. Ah, Lord Jesus, help me. More of you. Oh, gosh, we just need to pause because I know I'm part of the problem. It just, I, I, I've just become obsessed that the church has to look as good and beautiful and kind and generous as Jesus did, period. There's, there's no alternative way to do this, guys. And if we keep making events, the focus we keep remake, trying to preserve our traditions just to keep, we gotta keep us safe. We're gonna lose the very essence of the life of the kingdom. It always flows into the margins. It starts in the margins. And when we win and try to preserve our victory, we, we practice the way of the world. Jesus always responds in, in love. When we, we can become angry about the systems of injustice. We, we can be angry about the blind spiritual leaders, but we do not get to respond with violence or just empty critique like updating our Facebook status. 
Jesus responds with embodied love. The way we speak, the way we act, the way we respond to injustice is always nonviolent, loving protest. Or I would say even better, to shut down the systems of injustice, we must incarnate love and offer the better practice as the best critique. The best critique of the bad is the practice of the good. So to confront the systems, to take them down, look at what Jesus does. This is so beautiful. And it's right here, and we just read over it. It says, verse 41, Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. The interesting thing about the story is a word would have been enough. Be healed like everyone else. Walk, see. The word was good enough, but it was too innocent to demonstrate the reckless love of God. Clean, wholeness, the man needed to be restored, but the system needed to be turned upside down. He could have just said the word, that would have been all he needed, but love doesn't do what's required. Love goes all out. Love reaches down to touch the untouchable, smothers the ugliness with love, and transforms th that into beauty. Love gets messy, messy, Love moves in next door and keeps knocking on the door. Love leaves a mess to be cleaned up. Love fights for the right, gives itself up for the other. Love takes on the conditions and implications and the stigma because it has no regard for status or reputation. I knew we were going to have a sermon today. Gosh, I'm shaking up here right now. You see, the power structures that were designed for compassion cannot be turned upside down through inappropriate anger, judgment, or rage, but only through a gentle touch of love. And when Jesus touches this man, he does something remarkable. He reveals to us what God's like. God could just heal him, but God doesn't just heal him. He touches him. Because touch is a, is a sacred human gift, especially to those who don't have intimacy or relationships. And as, a, as a, a, a husband and as a father of two kids that smother him, I'm overwhelmed with touch, but I know so many people in our community and in our city are not touched, physically touched. The incarnate, gentle, generous, innocent touch of love. Mother Teresa says people have forgotten what the human touch is, what it is to smile. For somebody to smile at them, somebody to recognize them, somebody to wish them well. The terrible thing is to be unwanted. To be known, to be touched in this way is to restore people back into life. And this is the way of Jesus. It's the way of gentle touch and community and friendship. And notice a couple of observations and I'll just close. Jesus, verse 43, sent him away at once with a strong warning. Listen to this. See that you don't tell this to anyone. But look it, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to the system. He doesn't, he, he infects the system. He's saying, no, 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 the time has not yet come to destroy the systems because that's going to come after his resurrection, right? Where, where, the, where they tear down Jesus' body as a temple and he builds a new one, the church. He's saying, go back and do what's required. But look at what happens. Instead, he went out and began talk, to talk freely, spreading the news. 
So even Jesus, he's saying, bring a testimony to the systems. Take, go get the MRI and go say, God heals. All right? Go, some of you are teachers and you know how messed up the education system is. You, we could start our own private schools. I, yes, we can do that. Or we can infiltrate the system and bring through loving touch a redemptive narrative that there's another way we can, there's, there are other rules we play by. Do you see what, what's, what Jesus is doing here? It gets real creative real fast. But just this is what stuck with me. Verse 45, as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So check this out. The moment Jesus touches the man, he takes on that man's uncleanliness. It's not that he just heals him. He trades places with him. He's the one that has to live in the, un, the, the lonely place now. Do you see this? But Jesus, now the law required the leper to live outside in the camp alone and isolated. Lepers were forced to live in lonely places and now Jesus is forced to stay in lonely places. Jesus not only heals our conditions, he's willing to take our place. This is so beautiful to me. This is what's so reckless where he comes into our pain, into the shame, into the humiliation, into the implications of the failures and says, I'll take it from here. Go, go into those places that I'm no longer able to go because of what you did. He takes our, our place. That's what love does. Church. Jesus is the model. What are we doing when we're not willing to take their place? When we're not willing to show up at St. Luke's, I get it, it's Saturday. There are four of us there. 18 at Frank. What's wrong with us when we don't have time to take the place of the people that need Jesus' presence more than your Tuesday night Bible study? Or your... $5 coffee Bible study per person. And I'm, I'm preaching to myself right now. This is just for me. This is the words that God gave me on Saturday yesterday as he rebuked me with a gentle, loving touch that created such an, an outrageous reality. We, I was at St. Luke's, which is like literally, I could throw a stone. It's on Atlantic and 7th. And every week they serve 120 to 150 homeless people. And they're, they're not the, this, the friendly type. Some of them are friendly. They're not, the, they're not clean. They're showering there. They're doing their laundry there. They're getting a, a bowl of soup and, Daniel, what was it? Half, half a muffin? If there was enough. Half a muffin and one egg. All right, this is one of the places. And their closet for men is empty. They want jeans. They don't have anyone donating jeans. And I'm like, I have a church full of like salvage denim Like, it, it doesn't get more practical than this. Next week, we're going to have a box out there. Bring your clothes. We'll drop it off at St. Luke's. We need women's bras. We need belts. We need men's jeans and shoes. They had like seven pairs of shoes. I went home, and I'm a minimalist, and I found like six pairs of shoes. How did I have six? They're in boxes to be given away. Sometimes we're not looking for it. Sometimes we need to wake up to the reality of the humanity all around us. Are we there? That was just one of the thousands of possibilities 
of needs in our city, in your house church. I just, I don't know how to get us there anymore. I, just, I don't know. I never wanted to be a church that was too busy to not serve. That was never our call. And I'm like, I'm bringing it to our elders. I'm like, elders, we need to fast and pray. What did, where did we miss this to where we're, we're, not, we're not there serving, modeling it? I have kids, I get it. I have two kids. I got appointments. I have only a, that, I only had one day off yesterday and I was going to the four sites. I get it, but I'm just, I'm just waking up. So this is me in real time, mixed bag process. God's stirring something again. Can we just say hallelujah, amen? Darren's a mixed bag. So I just think um, I'm here to remind you today that uh, this is what Jesus does. Not only does he do it, he's willing to do it. He's willing to heal today. He will heal some of you today. I know that for a fact because God wants to see healing in his church. He, his heart is broken for the burdens that we're carrying. That's the God I know. I see it. He's broken for the city. He's broken for the nations. He's broken for you as a person carrying the weight of sin, carrying the loneliness, carrying that condition, carrying that fear, that anxiety. And he wants to breathe life into you. He wants you to suck in the oxygen of the kingdom of God so that everywhere you go, you're bringing that atmosphere with you. That's his desire to live uh, out of who you are to live, to become fully alive in him. Jesus is willing to do that. He heals today. And it's not just physical healing. He heals our relationships, our emotions, our mind, our thoughts. He heals our bodies. He heals our past. He heals our sickness, our pain. He wants to touch us gently with his love. So the Jesus I see throughout scripture reveals a God and what he's like. He, God is better than you could ever imagine. And all these stories of what Jesus does and the ways that people encounter uh, him, they belong to you as well. This is not about someone else. This is about, in this moment, God wants to come to you. If there was one area in your life that you're like, if God, you just fall, Lord, would you just fix my marriage? I just, if you are willing, would you just, if you're willing, would you just release this self-hatred, this anxiety, this depression, this anger that keeps, like, it's, I can literally be reading the Bible the kids wake up, and my wife says one random thing like, hey, do you mind taking out the trash? And I'm like, ah! <laughs> ah! <laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> What's that about? God, Jesus, if you are willing. And this is the true, like, real me. I'm, like, telling you what I'm praying for. There were seasons of such self-hatred. There were seasons of depression. There, and, and, and as I'm journeying to Jesus, I'm still, he's still working on me. He's still saying, there's, there's this over here. Right? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.